<laughs> no, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying hearing this. <laughs> I'm just trying to get okay. through. <laughs> how that we don't even know how our own riders are. This is this is um. When? <laughs> See, like, when? just use your names, yeah. people. Christ. Player 2 Pixelcast episode 78. I'm your host, Tim Henderson. Yes, I am sorry, I am back once again. This is how, you know, this is how this every other episode thing works. Worry not, though, I have, for this year, the first time in 2022, we now have two fresh faces, or voices, I guess, because we do not video this thing, coming in your hot. I don't think we've had either of you guys in um the show for, like, a few months now. Um, Starting with Sarah, you somehow made it. Like, you did not get rained out. You dealt with other shit that shall not be spoken of. Yes, oh, I'm 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 here. I'm alive. I'm watching my my front path is a waterfall right now and if I leave the podcast halfway through, you will assume that my power has gone out. Um but welcome to 2022. My goodness. What a start to it, the year, huh? Like I feel like God, ever since it's already crazy. 2016 what, what what? started as like this has been a shitty year. And then every year after that, it's just been like, hold my beer, hold my beer, hold my beer. I know. I know. I uh, thought that after Carrie Fisher died, everything's just gone downhill after that. And, and and also, oh my gosh, Betty White going literally New Year's Eve. That is some hardcore bullshit. Yeah. That is some absolute it's... bullshit. Um, but yeah, guys, it's it's good to, it's good to see, good to talk, and um, hopefully... <laughs> There's little moments of happiness from taking them <laughs> Yeah, that's why we're going to be living in the past. Anyway, before that, though, yes, Rob, we have heard you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, considering, you know, just keeping busy amongst all of all of the chaos. <laughs> uh, yeah, less I, chaos, please. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's um, intentionally just kind of trying to crawl back into the past or not, but this episode is going to be one of what would be several probably scattered over the course of the year of just, like, looking back at what we feel like are kind of key years in gaming. Um, starting, well, this episode, will, second half, will be focusing mostly on 1991, but because back then release dates were very squishy, it's 1991, but also kind of a little bit 1990 and a little bit 1992. But mostly 1991, hey, we're an Australian show, this might be easier if we were American or Japanese. <laughs> or even UK. UK actually was still actually shockingly not that far ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. Some, why did we get lumped with Europe? I don't understand it. It's a TV signal. I think it was literally had, just, just a TV signal. Just because we had the Queen's English, is that why? Yeah. And I the Queen on our money. Yeah. That is some hardcore... That is no, some stupid. I'm actually pretty sure it was a TV a signal. Stupid. Like, Palin and TSC yeah. actually made a big difference back then. Oh, of course. Yeah, and I presume that being a, a colony, we, we got lumped with the Queen's uh, TV signal. Yes. Yeah, which was yeah, actually yeah. better for everything yeah. except for video games. Anyway, before that come games that now, you know, ni- tend to run in, like, nice 60 frames per second, regardless of where you live. And, um, Sarah, I'm guessing your delightful little German village builder would run very smoothly on almost anything you installed it on. Pretty much, actually, and I'm very disappointed that it's not out on Switch. So, um, when... So, to give some context here, when Tim was sitting there and saying, hey, what games have you been playing this week? Um, I decided to try my level best and not go with a roguelike, um, because that is what I always do, and because Hades has been everything that I've been inhaling and exuding for the last two years. Um, gone to Dead Cells for a bit over the break. That was kind of fun. Um... But he, he was all like, oh, maybe talk about Elden Ring tonight. And I'm like, dude, I am 48 hours since my purchase, and I still suck at Elden Ring. 
So much so that I have crawled into a little crevice and started playing this nice little indie game called Dorf, Dorf Romantic, which is basically Romantic Village in German. Which is... A great name for a video game to start with. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And then and in the current political climate, I had to triple check and be really careful. Um, but no, it's it's a... <laughs> it's a fantastic little um well so steam indies was um out kind of this week uh so there was they were doing uh, a whole bunch of uh indie developers were doing some uh presentations on early access games that were coming out and other ones that they've been working on um but this one i've been following for a little while mainly because i i like the aesthetic of it but also because it's not just like a like a Sim City sort of town builder game. It actually is a really interesting puzzle game. So um, the way that it plays is you have little hexagonal tiles, a little bit like Settlers of Catan. You know how in Settlers of Catan you got to sit and you got to build things, you got to have roads and mm. stuff connecting. It is basically the same thing. However, every so often you have a tile that has like a little achievable goal in it. So like you have to have a clump of, um, you know, like four or five fields or a clump of 300 trees in a forest or a little village or something like that. So it basically is, it, it's just like a, a, a cozy little puzzle game. Um, it also has, uh, to expand on a little bit, you have some achievements that you can unlock different tiles, tiles include trains, boats, lakes different biomes so biomes are kind of like you can change the scenery and the setting of the tiles that you're using so i've unlocked so far the lavender biome so you can have lavender fields instead of wheat fields um the it's like a autumn autumnal kind of uh coloring biome so it's kind of like everything's in the fall instead of um you know in the spring looks pretty nice and they've just done a recent update that has a winter biome that includes polar bears in it, which I haven't gotten to that point yet. Are they um, cute polar bears or violent polar bears? They look cute so far. I'm assuming if you place a tile far enough from away from the village, they're not going to traverse their way there. Um, but it's... I've been following the Twitter account for a while, and I actually had been following it because I was hoping it was going to come out on Switch, because we always hope that everything comes out on Switch. There's a whole thing on Wikipedia about literally people think it's coming out on Switch, but it's not actually. Please stop. Well, it's... It, it's. I think it was because there was some early talk of, oh my gosh, everybody wants it on Switch, and I think at the moment they're focusing more on the early access content, getting the feedback on the content, and releasing it properly um on steam in early 2022 in all honesty it i haven't i'm gonna be really honest i've not played a lot of games on my pc lately my my laptop has actually been sitting in a bag like in you know in a cupboard for about the past two months because i don't like i, I go to work and i use a computer and then i come home and it's like i don't want to use one um, so and i've so been very switch heavy and a little bit more playstation heavy so it's forced me to, you know, get the PC out, play something a little bit different. The controls are really simple. You don't have to use um, mouse controls all the time. You can just use, you know, the um, you know, WSD to kind of move the screen around a little bit. Um, you can rotate um, the, the screen. You can zoom in, zoom out, all those fun little camera controls. But, yeah, it's, it's nice and it's chill. And there's a whole bunch of these kind of town or island or little village creation games that are mm. out that kind of came up around that end of 20 like that quarter three of 2021 
they're around, so Townscaper is around that point as well, which I've st- I had been eyeing off again on Switch because a mate of mine was playing it, and I just went, oh, it actually came in as a bundle with this game that I with um, Dorf Romantic. Huh. So I've I've got like three or four of those games at the same time, and they're just the the music's good, the aesthetic is simple. Um, it doesn't require my computer to propel itself to the moon in order to play it. Um, it's it's nice. It sounds just pleasant. And it's yes. and it's and it's somewhere for me to hide after failing constantly at Elden Ring, um, which I'm sure that you're going to have someone far more qualified than me on a future podcast to to talk about it, who will have far more time in it than I have. Like, do I hate it? No, I don't have Elden Ring at all. I think it's a really... I haven't played a proper Dark Souls game ever. I've been... I have been bullied repeatedly to play a Dark Souls game (laughs) by a member of our writing team, which I have not... I have not actually succumbed to yet also in terms um, that we could name I this would... person without naming this person just shit's um, weird we could or i could just get i could tell the time-honored story and i'm sure that it's happened to more than one person in our writing team but i did have this darling gentleman send to my house a letter that was just an a4 piece of paper with dark souls typed on it repeatedly printed and sent to my home address which is the funniest shit at all that could ever happen. But this is, this right. is I feel like the legitimacy of this letter, Souls. we're getting very off topic, but legitimacy's letter, oh, like, yes, he's only hard if he actually typed Dark Souls every single time as opposed to writing one line and then copy-pasting. If you copy-paste it, it's I not a true that. Dark Souls letter. We have to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> get good at typing. To, you'd have to ask him. You'd have to ask him, Tim. I've got no idea. But, yeah, my, my very, very short as a first person probably in the crew to have talked about Elden Ring so far or to have probably played a little bit of it until you get someone else more qualified. To oh, we're going to make you so do it next. I'd we're not going to have nobody who oh, knows yeah. how they're good, good, good. Do it. <laughs> I want to hear it. Um, I'm liking it. Like, it's, yeah, it's hard. And at the moment, I'm embracing the art of failure quite a bit. Um, it's making me think really tactically. I've changed classes twice already. Because I'm like, I'm already too, I'm, I'm too early in, I'll just give something else a go. So I started with Samurai first because I wanted a bow and then went, fuck that. So I'm now um, on a warrior build, um, which is still a little bit not tanky enough for me to just basically go straight in and... Wax stuff. Uh, what's the word? And, 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 and not die after two hits. Oh, that's a genre, um, though. But, yeah, I know, but I've got, I've got, good, um, I've got good stamina with the warrior. So I'm happy. I can I can do a lot of these. I do a lot of barrel rolls. Right, cool. So we're gonna have. Yeah, we are gonna have I'm, to check I'm, back I'm, in with. I'm, I'm a peppy peppy warrior. <laughs> I feel like I never thought I'd hear peppy peppy warrior in the context of any kind of souls like ever. But um, we need. I need, uh, I need that as a game now. <laughs> there, yeah. there we go. Tim, All right, Tim. Can we now please do a barrel roll onto another topic? Too I long, was, don't read. You didn't don't even have to talk about Elden about Ring. But you did anyway. I did, and I did anyway because I love you. Um, Dorf Romantic, guys, if you can, um, it's about like nine ninety nine US on the Steam store. Give it a go. I, I'm loving it. It's really chill. Elden Ring. You know, if you I'm wanted stupid, or not, that's. I still like it, and somebody else will talk about it more. Who's faster, more qualified than I am? There. Right, let's let's cool. get a little more violent, or maybe less violent. I guess I don't know how it goes against Elden Ring, but I believe, um, Rob, you're getting you're, you're getting your retro bloodlust on. 
Yeah, so uh, I've been playing Power Slave Exhumed. Um, it's worth noting, um, before I get too far into it, I have done a P2Plays episode of it. So if you check the PlayerTube YouTube channel, there's a good half an hour of me diving into it. Um, so Power Slave Exhumed is a uh, throwback FPS, um, which was originally re- yes. released in the 90s. Um, back in PAL regions, it was called Exhumed, and Power Slave was its US name. Um, and um, Night Dive have modernized it and brought it up for pretty much everything. Um, I bought it on Switch. I did the P2 plays on the PC version, um, mouse and keyboard. But the idea is it's a Egyptian-themed FPS. You're an explorer dude trying to find pieces of a of like equipment that will stop this evil destroying um, an Egyptian, uh, a deceased Egyptian god. Um, but the thing about it is that it's sort of got so this is so um, so Power Slave Exhumed is sort of a proto Metroid Prime in that you've got like. You, you, you sort of have the linear progression, like you need to do A to B to C, but you've sort of got this hub sort of structure. So you'll go into a level and you'll need to do some stuff and then you'll reach an exit and you'll get a map and you'll get to pick like which section you need to go to. And it's huh. got that thing where, yeah, it, it's so one of the things, the quick history thing is, so uh, Power Slave and Exhumed back in the day were released on the PC as well as the Saturn and PlayStation. And interesting, the, the Saturn version, version was better. yeah. The PC one is a basically straightforward linear FPS, and then the PlayStation and Saturn one is all this dynamic stuff. And of the two, the Saturn is the better version, even though the Saturn was kind of weaker in the 3D stuff. Um, but basically, so you'll go through, so you'll need to go through and pick these artifacts up. And so one helps you breathe underwater, and so you can traverse like big swimming sections. One was some boots to let you jump higher. And so it's still early days. I've gotten stuck at the moment. I'm trying to find out where I need to go next. Have they included just, any kind of nicety guidance stuff or they just go, you've got your phone in your pocket, man, look it up. Yeah, it's kind of that. Like a lot of the, the, the enhancements that um, Night Dive have done are they've sort of merged the maps between the Saturn and PlayStation versions. So even though the gameplay is the same, the way the maps were structured, there was like a little more detail in some maps on the Saturn compared to the PlayStation and vice versa. So they've merged the maps together. So you've got like the best versions of the maps. You've got like ridiculously high resolution settings and scaling. And there's like fancy CRT filters and all of this. How many of those are really good? Course, are they actually, pardon? are they, I've heard that CRT filters in this are actually really good. Cause a lot of the time it's just yeah. like, Oh, lines across my screen. Wonderful. Yeah. This has got like a whole bunch of tweakable stuff. Like if you, you want to go nuts with it, um, Digital Foundry did their video looking at it because um, one of their hosts is really into it. Yeah, that'd be um, And so they did They did it um, when they covered it. And it was a really good video just sort of diving into it and showing all of that stuff. Um, and yeah, it's a really cracking game that I'm, I need to continue working on because it's like you get that 90s throwback fast-paced action like you would in sort of the pre-Quake style shooters. But you get a really cool dynamic level. You've got this sort of exploratory focus that feels quite a bit different from... Even just the it's, rest of what Night Dive have done. It's depressing is to it think... Like, sorry. No, no, you go, Tim. It's depressing to think about. Like, we were at this point in the 90s, and so this game is basically like space Egyptians, magic, hub world, crazy shit to explore. How did we go from all this potential for the first-person shooter whatever genre and end up with Call of Duty every year? I wish I could add to that because it's a very sad statement indeed. I think we'd just be thankful yeah. that there are devs who are who are like sort of doing throwback shooters now that aren't in, in being inspired by Call of Duty. So yeah, this is like Night Dive have done impressive work here, and so because I had never I'd never really heard of it until I started hearing talk about the Saturn version a few years ago. So it's like oh I've got to check this out when it came out, and 
I'm absolutely loving it. Because if they made it like a full-on, just a new... Like if Sony just said to one of their studios or Microsoft and said, you know what, make a new one of these, I would be all over that shit, I think. Yeah. The the Switch and the PC got the same kind of customization. Yeah, all those options. Um, Switch is rock-solid, like it it runs rock-solid 60. um, Mm. So it's really smooth, really fast. Um they've really d- paid attention to it and it's just on everything it's just really solid yeah. um i think whatever you play it on like your preference will be like for someone who can play it on both if they prefer mouse and keyboard go for pc but the console ones you're gonna get a bang up experience with it hmm. yeah because that's the only thing i was thinking was the the controls on i mean obviously when it was originally done they had like the different controller and that was pre-twin yeah. stick so how the fuck would that control yeah. on a saturn or a playstation yeah. God. Yeah, I've heard the PlayStation one was really bad, like, because to look up and down. So on the Saturn, it had your sort of classic, like, Doom Auto snapping, where you just had to line up and face the enemy. You and didn't it would have just to worry go up or vertical. down automatically. Yeah, whereas the PlayStation one, you actually had to do that, and it was, like, really horrible with the shoulder buttons. Oh. The era of figuring oh, that out is that's fascinating. Not fun. Yeah, System it, it really shock. is. I didn't learn... I didn't even realize how bad this was until years later when I was... I didn't end up doing it. I was researching, maybe doing a retro piece on it. Um, do you know how you look up and down in the original System Shock on PC? You've got that little slider. There's that, like, this little box in the top of the screen. You have to click on the up and the down arrows. Like, the mouse was right there. It's in your hand. And that's and that's another one that's getting the night dive treatment. So that's been in the works for years in comparison. But yeah, it's I feel like that's... Like, I hear that as something is like, being in my Steam library for basically forever. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see that soon. I'm looking forward to revisiting that whenever it drops. <laughs> After however long it was, I kickstarted it. <laughs> yeah, I would. Um, I am actually pretty clean, keen to check out Exhumed once I um. I'm in this weird. Actually, no, I was quite happy. I'm in this um. Almost kind of like chained myself to Super Mario Galaxy, because there's one huge advantage of the. I mean, this Mario 3D collection I mentioned in the previous episode is the laziest shit by Nintendo. Like, they, there are so many simple things they could have done to make it better. Um, they didn't do any of them. And it would have been, like, very little work, but they're like, we're going to sell, like, five million of these anyway, so whatever. Um, yeah, it's like Mario Galaxy, I just remember. You always lose all of your accumulated lives whenever you, like, turn the game off. <laughs> the Switch can go to sleep, so, like... Yeah, so, like, every time you're playing your Wii, you remember your progress, but you go back to, like, four or five starting Marios, and that you, you, you get a lot very quickly. But it's like, no, I want to keep on my lives, so now it's like I'm in perpetual sleep mode, and I do not want to change games until I'm done. Um, but I'm not... I'm not going to delve back into the galaxy. I am, for once, for once, actually the person on top of the big blockbuster releases. Who are? And, and these comments are going to be... I am too. I just have performance anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> well, this... No, these comments are going to be pretty interesting, because I actually have a piece going up on the site later this week, or possibly earlier this week. I'm considering we're recording this episode even a little bit more ahead of schedule than usual, where I sent, about a week before um, Horizon Forbidden West came out, I just said, fuck it, I have never played this thing, I'm going to write a review anyway. And I sent that through to Huso, and the, like, the true vindication of, like, I'm beginning to think how predictable some of these big blockbusters are, is, like, the first question I got back from Huso was, did Sony hook you up? <laughs> and I was like, no, I am literally just trying to guess at what most of these reviews are going to read like. And aside from a couple of small things, I feel like most of the stuff I'm going to say, I did not actually need to play this game to say. It's it's kind of messed up, actually. Mm. 
So, I mean, the, the short of it... it poor, poor Horizon. They get they they time their releases at the oh my worst God. possible time. It, it's got Breath of the Wild in it again. I know! <laughs> oh. God, it, the poor things. Oh. <laughs> because I, I have heard that Horizon is freaking amazing. But it's it's like... It's a time but, thing. It's like it's you, amazing. It's hilarious that this happened twice. It's, <laughs> I know. It is literally John McClane at the airport. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh gosh! But I hope people listening are old enough to get the Die Hard references. <laughs> okay, what is what is one thing that you personally appreciated about Horizon Forbidden West that you don't think? anybody else has commented on yet so something that you have personally experienced from it so far that you don't think anybody has really has really commented on yet um how addicted my girlfriend gets to just foraging stuff she really really enjoys (laughs) like i don't get this with other games like the first horizon is the game that made her force herself to learn to control the camera on the second analog stick she doesn't like the combat at all, but if, like, Sony, you, if you just make a really pretty, just run around the world and pick up shit game, I think there are some people out there who might be really into it. They have that. It's called No Man's Sky. That, that's gonna hold, no, that's, oh my gosh, if she gets into No Man's Sky, I'll never see her ever again. No, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. If she gets it, um, if it, don't, do not let her get into EVE Online. I know the politics are over But anyway, that, I'm, um, so what but I'm gonna yeah, say no, is, is going to yeah. be a pretty standard, I think, rundown. I wish I had some... But I'm also, like, I'm eight to ten hours in. And I will say, I've not been bored once. Like, it, it is it is fun from the get-go. It is smooth. It just works. I Apparently, some people had some visual glitches. I haven't seen anything like that as you have all code. And one of the things that is very easy to say in your predicting review is it does look fucking stunning. Oh, yeah. Of course it does. Mm. It looks really fucking good. Um, it's... Actually, it's one of those things where it... But it also... It looks exactly like how you remember Horizon looking. Then you go back and go, Horizon still looks good, but oh, okay, alright, there is actually a shit ton extra detail here. We are, we are hitting, we are hit, ro- walking really hard up against that, um, um, diminishing returns scenario. But some, like, some stuff like Water in particular looks way, way better than it did. Um, the only weird thing is, like, so it's got, it's got, um, so you fidelity mode and performance mode. And performance mode, which is, by all accounts, pretty rock-solid 60 frames per second, runs at 1800p, which is pretty close to 4K, but it does not look it. It looks, like, notably softer. Like, it... I don't know what's going on with the reconstruction there. But I feel like Mm. if they just took away something... Like, it's just strange how soft it looks. To the point where I think even Digital Foundry, which almost always says use the frame rate mode, was like, you might want to play this one in the 4K native, which is what I'm doing, um... And I adjusted to it pretty quickly. I, went, I bounced from um, Judgment Remastered to this. I was just Judgment Remastered at 60 frames per second. And when you do the immediate jump, you notice it. But following day, it's like, all right, I'm used to 30 frames now. This doesn't seem as jerky as it did. It just looks really pretty. The game does seem to expect you to know more than the first time around. I don't know if that's intentional or if they're just assuming, oh, look at all the people who bought the first game. As much as we did get hammered on my Breath of the Wild, a lot of people still played and enjoyed Horizon. And to be fair, it is actually a very good game. It's just, um, well, first, the initial point is, one, you may want to read up a little bit on the story. I played through the original and the DLC. It was years ago. I'm still a little bit confused about 
some of the backstory and who the characters are, I don't clearly remember. And I don't know if it quite does enough to um, tutorialize how the combat system works as much this time. I think it it may it may be an intentional thing. They saw Breath of the Wild and were like, maybe people want to figure it out themselves a bit more. But So the way I kind of think about this game is that it is an open world game, but it's also kind of like the most amazing PlayStation 2 game ever made. Um, and that, that sounds like an insult until you realize, no, there are some really good games in the PS2. It's, so, it still doesn't have, like, the climb anywhere. Like, you know, you go too far off the path and it's, like, kind of weird, awkward jumping over these rocks. It wasn't really designed to do that. But when it plays out as this kind of third-person action-adventure game with just these epic-ass battles and it's just on a scale that you could not have dreamed of, like, back in the year 2002 or whatever... It's just a fucking incredible version of that, and it's kind of done a disservice to itself by people thinking of it as an open world game. When it isn't an open world, it is technically an open world game. It doesn't innovate as an open world game. It's solid as an open world game. It just innovates, or maybe even not, it just takes a lot of things that work really well and manages to bring them together without it breaking, which in itself is super impressive. All of these elements about the, like, these AI systems and these gigantic ass enemies and like different forms of combat. Like the combat is really fucking good. How many open world games have legitimately really fucking fantastic combat that works on different levels? Um, the stealth I think feels a little bit better this time, although it still suffers from that stupid ass. The um, base melee attack and the silent attack are mapped to the same button. So if you like miss something walking past you by half a second, instead of like taking it out one hit, you kind of alert all of the robot dinosaurs around you. No. But, like, but, yeah. but, you know, it's not Metal Gear Solid where you're immediately dead if that happens. You can kind of fight your way out of it. And it, like, does a pretty decent balance between how far will they chase you versus what you can kind of get away and, like, try and sneak back in if you want to do that. I mean, it's... One hand, it's, yeah, that's clearly very video gamey. On the other hand, it works and it stops it from not being fun. I feel like this game just is in... Like, it's just perspectively in service of just being accessible and fun. It yeah. sounds really good to me. Yeah, it's that's the thing. It's it that's it's bubblegum entertainment, but it's it, that's all that it is. It is such a it feels like a low bar to basically like it. It got there, and it, it sounds like it just it got, it got there, there really well. Um, but it also does does it sound like it got there really easily? Like you know, people were expecting that the second pe- one was going to be like it just wasn't going to be of the same quality. But somehow they managed to. You I know, think people had high expectations like, for it, what? and it hit actually them. we got this, yeah. and they totally got and they so, built on it, and they didn't overbuild on it. I guess at least so far, like it doesn't feel bloated in any way. The side quests seem like a little bit more fleshed out. I it's still like more Horizon but better, but it is in every way I can think of like actually better and like it, it i mean elder rings kind of kind of crushed down as more of a critical darling and you could probably say probably the better game overall like i mean horizon is suffering from lowest common denominator but it does it well so the way i think about it is when the first horizon came out i was like on a real high like um the last guardian came out that is my game fuck everybody who said those controls are garbage like there is something like, that's felt very intentional. Like, you're a small young child, it's okay for, like, not every game to feel snappy. It doesn't have to feel snappy to work. And, it, like, the AI and that giant cat thing as well. Like, it's allowed to be fickle. This is kind of part of what it is for me. And and I went from that to Nier Automata, which was, like, maybe the game of the generation. Yeah. Um, and then to Horizon. And it felt like, okay, I've gone from, like, a really good Ghibli movie to, like, something, like, I know, like, I know, I love Wong Kar Wai, so here's my obscure, like, like, Hong Kong cinema darling that is deeply loved by many people, but most people don't know who is. And then I've gone and seen, like, the latest Avengers film. 
And it's really well done. It's not going to like be as personal or as meaningful as the other two, but it's a really good example of one of those. And this feels like the really good sequel to one of those. And I don't know if like Sarah's confused or suddenly reading something. It's just there was there was a big thunder outside. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Like, Yikes. Oh dear. <laughs> just waiting for this to go out. Um, I think it's. I think it, it's it's. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Sometimes it feels like, you know, game companies with the sequels, they have to add a lot of bloat to it. They have hmm. to sit there and they have to, you know, do some more stuff to it. Except for Dragon Age Two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but it's like it sounds like that they just got that at such they attuned it to such a good level that it just it feels like it flows more easily i think they understood the what next, they made the very generation. well and they understood yeah. what feedback was relevant or not so like yeah. i say like it's still you can't traverse as well as you can in like zelda like you, there is more there is more climbing it's still very uncharted climbing but there's a lot more of it you can find walls to scale, you now have a parachute yeah. thing, so you can um, glide down, for example. They've just kind of like, um, we know where, or, or for, like, instead of having a shit ton more side quests, it's like what they did instead of just making more of those, instead of going Ubisoft and just putting more map, more shit on the marker, they kind of looked at The Witcher yep. and said, okay, mate, we're never going to have a bloody Baron quest, but what if we just made the side content we have a bit more meaningful? And so, so far, by all accounts, a lot of people really like it. I think it's very good. Is it going to be game of the year? It's going to be the popular game of the year. It's going to be the audience score game of the year. It may not be the critical darling, but it's still good. I like it a lot. I would. I think for a lot of people, it's a, it's that toss up at the moment. I think it's the like it it's it, it's a game that's more of what people sounds like. It's just a game of more of what people love. Whereas Elden Ring is it's. It takes some elements of gameplay of what people love, and it puts it in an entirely new context. And I think that's you're completely hitting the nail on the head. That's going to be what critics are going to sit there and go, "This is going to be the critical darling." Whereas Horizon is definitely going to be that more popular because it's going to, it's going to reignite that fan base a lot more. Yeah, and I mean, of, and yeah. Is it really necessary to do the first one, in your opinion? Opinion? Is it like definitely a? It's a flow-on sequel, and you need to have done the first one and the DLC to really get all of it. Uh, this the story still seems. Because like, I'm, like I'm not at the end though, so I don't know if it's going to like crescendo in nicely. It does. I this could be my. It does. He when it boots up for the first time, it actually plays like a recap video, during which time I was like out choosing what beer I wanted to drink when I started this. So maybe I should have paid attention to that. It, it probably wouldn't oh, hurt to just, like, read something shortly, video. like, just, like, a short synopsis or something. But, I mean, it's, the thing is, it's just fun to play. Like, even if you're not following the story, it's still pretty fun to play, so I don't think it's required at all. Um, if you see Horizon cheap and you're like, you know what, you know what, I have a shit ton of time, I can spend 40 hours on this and then move on to the sequel, then by all means, if that's something you want to do, then go. But no, I think you could just, um... Jump in. Um, public service announcement, of course. You can buy the PS4 version and upgrade it to the PS5 one. I did not do that because I live in Japan and I did not check if that applies in Japan because Japan is the sort of place where they would totally not do that one thing that the rest of the world is doing. So did you get the PS... You I bought the, the PS5 version. The PS5. I, was, I was just flying it safe. Oh, okay. Yeah, good idea. 
Um, but we can say confidently that the Australian version, if you buy the PS4 version and put it in the PS5, you can choose. And then just say, fuck it, I spent 10 bucks less than I got this version instead. Unless you're really fussy about your shelves, I guess. I mean, yeah, they're the same size cases anyway, so unless you really care about the colouring. <laughs> I guarantee you some people do. Yeah, I'm, you're right. I'm sure I'm sure there's going to be someone who does. And you know what? It's their $10. I'm not going to judge them. That's exactly right. People can collect how they want to collect. Yep. And and with that, I mean, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, if you're talking about collecting, we're going to be talking about games that probably cost way more than they should. year was 1991 or possibly 1990 or possibly 1992 the, the point is that <laughs> for all you people who are way too young please get off my yawn types this, this show that it wasn't always a case that a game would come out in japan and america and australia and europe at the same time <laughs> and like differences of two years are actually not that uncommon which is why we're kind of squishing all of this together Anyway, the point is, the year was 1990, and young Tim was probably, did not even own a console yet, and was packing his lunchbox into his school bag, and I believe it was Christmas that year. To really put in perspective how young we were, I, at, me and my brother put our money together, and bought a second-hand Sega Master System 2, from the son of my kindergarten teacher. <laughs> and to further put in perspective, like, how little, I know, the... So I've mentioned at the front of the show what the idea is we're going to, like, look back at a few key years in gaming, and we're eventually going to, like, kind of take the attitude of, like, what was it like to, like, just be living through that year and, like, watching these things come out. It's a bit different when we go this far back in time, partly because we were very young and partly because we weren't even aware stuff was coming out a lot of the time. I did not even really, was not even properly aware of the Mega Drive until I bought the Master System and saw the Mega Drive advertised inside the game case of the Master System stuff I bought. <laughs> and so, like, half a year later, I'm like, I'm like Mom, I want the better one. <laughs> <laughs> Your mum must have loved you. My oh God. yeah. Are you are you saying you wouldn't have done that if you immediately? Saw, you don't have any perspective of like how much this stuff really. You think adults have all the money and they just decide to give it to you or not? No, we have perspective. Well, in '91, my brother and I, and by my brother and I, I mean my brother and I would steal it routinely. Um, had the Game Boy, so. And that was that was our go-to kind of thing into the into the generation before the Super Nintendo came out, and we were we were hyped for we were hyped for the SNES. We were completely hyped for the SNES. Yeah, so this is where our first weird wrinkle of the 1991 comes in, and which was console wars. <laughs> no, 
<laughs> in fact, I may even get confused in my head. It may be 1992 even that like I bought that. Um, no, I think it was 1990. Whatever. Point is, this nest did not actually hit Australia until 1992, but it was out in Japan way before that, and it was out in America pretty far before that as well. Which is why we're doing this big kind of nice little potential. Yeah, we're saying 1991, but it's kind of like trying to just meet everything in the middle as much as possible. Um, But man, it was like weird time to like just be gaming. Like Rob and I were talking before this show about how like, oh wow, even like sometime my computer is now 10 years old. I've upgraded the graphics card once, I've done some other things, but it's actually, one, it's still working, which is freaking incredible from a 1990s perspective. <laughs> and, like, it's like, oh, I sometimes have to, like, hard turn it off now, like, every couple of months, so maybe it's finally getting down that, like, that was, like, a f- weekly routine for me back then. <laughs> so stuff just works now, there's a whole lot of uncertainty, and, like I said, but for, from what I could tell in that era, games were just on the shelf. Like, the idea that new games are coming out and you should be getting excited about them, I wasn't buying game magazines. Apparently, Sarah, you were. What was the first game you remember actually being hyped for? Um, it's not going to have been a 1992 game, but um, or one or zero. Super, super. No, it wasn't even that. It was a lot, a little bit later. Or Super Mario World Two, Yoshi's Island was my first one. Oh wow, we are going quite a bit later. Where that was a bit later, but no, for me, for me, 19 like the 1991-1992 was. When not only, you know, I probably got into playing games and it was, for, I guess for me, it was a lot of people get into game. I guess a lot of kids get into their games at that point because, oh my gosh, it's the cool shit at school. And all this, you know, oh my gosh, we're going to have this and all this, you know, there's secret levels and my uncle works at Nintendo and all this bullshit. I got into games because of my brother and I've always been really transparent about that. Um, but when I was a eight year old, I thought my brother was the most amazing, awesome, big brother that a girl could ever have. And arguably, my, my opinion, that has never changed. Um, except for, you know, teens. Where yeah, when you're supposed everybody to. else is um, stupid because that's how it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everybody just thinks that you, you're supposed to hate your siblings. But no, like, for us, it was our way of... It was our way of communicating. It was our way of having a friendship with each other, and it's and it's something that has continued now for like a good thirty thirty yeah, years. It's been decades. Been, yeah, that that's where like our yeah decades. It's where our friendship has basically been instilled that we can sit and we can talk about stuff that we're hyped about together. But um, yeah, like the first game I was hyped for was that was you know Super Mario you know, Super Mario World 2. But for me, where I started to learn more about, you know, gaming and about also, you know, how to look for things that were coming out, mate, that was where Australia's Nintendo magazine system came in, which not only gave you the most up-to-date reviews of everything that was out on Game Boy and a little bit of Nintendo and a lot more of Super Nintendo, but also ensured that it instilled the uh, binary uh, kind of... The binary oh, The magazines flamed, Nintendo. flamed loyalties back then. Oh, frick yes. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> it was They did not even pretend to make it nice. Was, it was... It was peak. It was peak competition at that point and like yeah like that was for me that's my memory of early gaming is not only kind of the friendship that I had but all with my brother but also that sense of 
identity. Like, you, you had an identity as someone who played Nintendo. You had an identity of somebody who was playing Sega. And it, you rarely found a kid or some someone who was getting involved with both. Both. But you never... I, I never had... Oh, you'd go to the, you'd go to the friend's house, you had the fence. other, and you'd play the game, but you'd always, like, criticise it every half hour. <sighs> I didn't criticise it every half hour, but Echo of the Dolphin looked absolutely stupid to me. Like, it really did. It, it seemed like the stupidest freaking game. But no, like, it was... That, that was what, 19... Like, everybody's all like, oh, you know, Xbox and Sony and oh my gosh, but y- you know all those fucking... It was games. way worse, actually. They do. <laughs> Especially no. since we didn't have any internet. And the one thing was, like yeah. we say, is like the magazines are doing it. It wasn't even just kids. Like, it was straight up the adults were like, just blowing heat on this and just watching it burn. Um, yeah, and it was and it was completely coming into our generation. It was we felt like we had to, we we had to identify. We had to be in one party or the other. You couldn't have a swinging voter back then. You had to be one or the other. Yeah, that was just that was just the way it was, man. Uh, <laughs> Fighting uh, a war. And I, Nintendo won. I mean, it, in hind, it's it's weird that Nintendo kind of like won the history. Lesson, I think, like a lot, and a lot more Nintendo kids, I think, kind of ended up going into um, games writing. At least the memories of those seem to have, like held up more strongly, and the reverence for Sega. It's partly because Sega jumped out of the console business and then yeah. let a lot of their IP kind of just dwindle. But I'm, part of the reason I kind of sat because I the next year we're probably going to do is 1998, and that was a pretty clear cut. Okay, a lot of really amazing shit came out this year. It's like a lot muddier looking for something a bit earlier than that. And the reason I kind of, like, landed on 91 is, like, this kind of middle point between, well, one, Street Fighter 2 came out. I was like, holy shit, like, that was a real watershed. I, like, that was a game that everybody, and it was, like, in every arcade or every roller skating rink or fish and chip shop or freaking whatever, <laughs> was there. Um, it was the year that Sonic came out. This is kind of like when the Mega Drive finally said, hey, watch this. But it was also the year of the Super NES for, like, most of the Western world. So it was kind of like this big generational heaving shift at a time when it did not take three years for this kind of killer app to come out on a new console. Because we say Super NES, obviously it didn't come out in Australia, but if you were living in, you know, not Australia, you got a really good Mario game, you got F-Zero, you got freaking Zelda, apparently, according to Wikipedia, somewhere within. Well, listen, that's, that's just a crazy, just a crazy slate for, of stuff to, like, be able to, like, dig into in, like, a pretty short period of time. And that's just if you are, like, literally Team Nintendo, like, burn all the Sega and PC guys to the ground, which size existed very Game much. Boy, Game Boy was still having some good stuff. Like, you know, we were... I mean, Super Mario Land wasn't great, but it was playable. And you made... You know, I thought that game was really well thought of. I liked Mario Land 2 better. It looked a lot better. Mario Land looked... Oh, yeah. It looked a lot better, but um, no, I Mario Land One. I wasn't, I wasn't as keen on. But look, like, if we're gonna, I, if we're, I mean, I play, I played through it. I played through it, but it was just. If we're going to talk Mario, though, and this is where our squishy release dates come in again. You know what came out in Australia in nineteen ninety one? Mario Brothers Three. Yep. Yep. Oh, oh gosh, yeah. yeah. Which is where you get like the Mario, the Mario Land two, and this whole idea of like hub worlds and things like that. It was really, they really kind of you know 
they went with that and ran, but oh, Mario Brothers 3. And the irony is, I didn't play that until Mario All-Stars. Yeah, a lot of games, I mean, again, that was what my comment is like, I'm not even aware that games kind of come out almost. So what I was yeah. actually playing in 91, 92 was not necessarily what came out that year. And, there were, and it's not like games plummeted in price in the same way they do now. I recently saw in Australia, you can get Deathloop for like $23. I'm like, what the fuck? Come on, Japan. I want super cheap Deathloop. Um, uh, a game from like four years ago could still be almost full price. So it's like, you're just kind of choosing what looks good to you at the time. Yeah. Like that period is so weird for me. Cause so basically I was, I guess technically computer gaming for me, it was my Commodore 64, which I'm gesturing is still, I still have my, yeah, you're like making it, you're signaling. I'm <laughs> guessing it's still in your house. Yeah. It's yeah. like literally behind me. It's set up. Um, and so I was playing a lot of games on that, and this sort of, you know, we didn't know that new games came out. Like, um, a lot of the time I was getting games through borrowing them. Um, hmm. I'd be lucky to get a game. Yeah, I'd be lucky to get a game for Christmas <laughs> or a birthday. Just, just, give, just for everybody on the podcast, I just did quotations on borrowing. So I forgot, like, that's a Commodore 64, you probably could do quotation borrowing. My Sega Master System, I had yeah. to do actual borrowing where you borrowing. gave it back to the yeah. friend again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um... I mean, I borrowed, but I also borrowed stuff. Um, and, like, I might get a game for, for Christmas or a birthday. And, um, but the thing is, it was not any of the new, like, the brand new hot stuff. Because by that point, um, you know, the C64 was nine years old by that point. So those new release games, you have to go to a specialty retailer, not your Kmarts or whatever, or Targets. Um, so I don't think... I think by that point, the last new release I picked up, we like actually got, would have been like the likes of Double Dragon Two or, or RoboCop, and that would have been like the year before, um, which were like they were eighty nine, ninety releases. So it was a bit after. Um, so I think I was going through a lot of the sort of other stuff at that time. I do remember playing a lot more newer stuff on my cousin's Amiga. And that was stuff like um, Lotus Turbo Challenge 2, which was a very popular multiplayer pick because, you know, split-screen racing game. Um, A bunch of other stuff as well, like um, the first Microprose Formula 1 Grand Prix, which I know we had James would be be raving about because the work of Jeff Kramen and co. Um, And that had really good turn, but like you would sort of, like that was single player at a time, but you'd do this thing where you swap players during the race. So you'd say this race is 20 laps long and there's five players. Each gets two turns. And so the game would cycle through like periodically. So it'd be like, oh, you're going to autopilot in five seconds. Blah, blah, blah. He's, he's taking the next turn. And then it would fade out, fade into the next player's game. And you got taking control in five seconds. And then they would have their, you know, they would grab the joystick. And, this and is stressful as it sounds. Um, no, not, not really. Because like, you know, based on the race length, you would, the, the AI did a good job of driving when you weren't in control. So um, unless something very freakish happened. But, you know, so you were guaranteed the AI was going to handle it well. But then you had that moment where you were in there. And so, yeah, if you had too many friends, you wouldn't get long enough stints. That would, it would probably make things harder. Um, and that's sort of a lot of stuff I remember playing. Like a, a lot of this stuff... Like I didn't know about, again, like you're both saying, like stuff coming in the stores. It wasn't until the next year that I finally started buying um, Zap64 and Commodore format. And they honestly became where I got a lot of games from because the the Commodore magazines and like some of the other 8-bit micros, like the Spectrum and stuff, they had the cover tapes. And so you'd remember demo discs in the, in the late 90s. In the early 90s, these cover tapes had full commercial games on it that they licensed. 
So they would be paying money to the publishers and they would get like full commercial games on there. Like you might get one or two full games, a demo and a, like a public domain game every month. Were they like and kind that- of sneaky smart like that with that? For example, like our Sony, you'll always find like a lot of those PlayStation Plus games, they have a sequel coming out or boy, they've got some fresh DLC they want to sell you on this game that you've been given for free. And it's like this kind no. of like I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of scenario. Not really, because a lot of the point when this was happening, a lot of these games were deleted. So, like, for example, there would be a publisher, like, at the time I started buying, um, a lot of publish, a lot of games were coming through from a, from a publisher that had sort of gone defunct called Houston. And the, the founder of that started a new company, um, called 21st Century, in a, Century Entertainment. And so they were licensing those Oh, wow, these are the out. pinball fantasy guys. Yeah, this was the stuff, like, they launched off Pinball Fantasies, um, but their back catalog was full of amazing stuff. And that's actually how I sort of learned about a whole bunch of games. Like, one of the mags had a had an interview with a dev in one issue and had a bunch of his old games on the cover tape that you could sit down and play. So a lot of things like that. But there'd be demos of the new stuff coming out, um, sometimes special demos, and then there was a few plugs. Like, I remember one cover tape had a, a demo of this, like, disc magazine, even though it was a cassette and you couldn't view, it was just like, here's a demo of the interface and the kind of content you might find if you subscribe to this disc magazine, buy it by like another third party. So by this point, that was how I was starting to get a lot of those games. It's like just getting these cover tapes. Um, it helps you justify the purchase of the magazine. It took me forever before I started buying magazines. Although it is also worth noting, like, like the era we're talking about predates Hyper. Mm. Yep. It does. So there was actually so, no, th- no like all party local magazine <laughs> yeah and like these were yeah. magazines coming out of the uk that would take like two months to get here yep. that'd be like ten dollars in the book in the news station and so for comparison if you're going to a shop to buy a brand new game for the c64 a brand new game was thirty dollars for a cassette and forty dollars for the for the floppy disk we were lucky in australia that we sometimes got releases of the games at the disc price that included both the disc and the cassette so you could so you could share, one share as you say <laughs> yeah um and so there's a few games i've got like that i remember borrowing the copies of a of a friend had a compilation of like four games and so it had the four discs and the four tapes and borrowing some of those and stuff like that um yeah it was very interesting being on a you know a, a declining platform at that point we definitely declined earlier than the c64 did in the uk for instance where like some of the last commercial games were a couple of years later, like um, A Port of Lemmings and Street Fighter 2. <laughs> wow, they still <laughs> made it there? Damn. They, they, it made it there. It was it was bad. Lemmings, um, I can believe. Lemmings was never a powerhouse of anything, and that wasn't, like, an, appropriately a very classic 1991 game. It was Yeah, it would have run on literally anything. Like, I think that was yeah. probably the game a lot of kids had because, oh, we've got this five-year-old computer that dad used to use for work once and while we're, we're back in the office. It can run Lemmings. Yeah. And Lemmings is actually a pretty good game, it turned out, so. Yeah, Lemmings is a damn classic because I never, I didn't play it um, on on an, on an Amiga back then. I played the PC port a few years later because it came bundled with our, with our family's first PC. Um, but yeah, I just remember a, a lot of that stuff. It's, it's definitely weird because it's sort of like, it would feel weird doing that today of just like going into a store to buy something without following because all the upcoming stuff, it was it was never shown in your face unless you were following yeah. the magazines. Like, you know, you look at your Xbox, or your PlayStation, you get it in your face that there's new stuff coming out all the time. Yeah, I mean, the PS5 so like, now, like it just loads you, like the PlayStation Store is just part of the homepage. <laughs> yeah. And, and 
it's the same with like Nintendo and PlayStation Xbox. It's like all of it. There's always news of some <clears> description, whether it's news about the games that you've got or it somehow tries to link to something else that you should get. It's it's just you're right. It's just completely all the time there. Getting on to because um, there was one thing that um, that Rob mentioned and I'd completely forgotten about. Um, did you guys ever get to? enjoy the the fun and fabulousness that was the edutainment games yep. that were around the early 1990s oh man yeah. i can't date them specifically Robert, but talking about oh gosh because you guys reminded me about um because you know my dad was you know had an old computer not like you know a really big fancy one but like you know an old computer and I did get Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, and I mainlined that shit. My god, I was completely obsessed with it. I was sitting there and I was memorizing the flags and everything. But, like, those early, those early kind of edutainment games on the, like, on the PC for kids were just, that they, they, they were, they were kind of, Oh, they were kind of classic. I kind of liked them. I don't... I think I don't remember ever liking them and annoying my parents would buy... Like... Because we're now just talking about this weird, just brief era. I think the first yes. Common Standard came out in, like, 85, but I think it was That's the early right. 90s when it became standard on, like, literally every computer ever. Yep. And it um, came bundled with an Almanac. You also had, like, um, the Luigi looking for Mario game. I forgot what it was. Oh, oh, Mario is missing. Mario is missing. Yep. Yep. Um, but we had some like something Math, called like Mathcopter, Math Math Blaster. Yep. I think I had, and that game was friggin' terrible. Um, outnumbered the Super Solvers series. Um, outnumbered was the one I remember playing at a friend's place. Um, mm. And you're like, you wander around a TV station, and you had to like zap things and answer math questions. Um, <laughs> it, definitely a weird one um my my favorite um entertainment i think this is actually 1990 but again australia so i can count it was a game called dinosaurus 2 and it was entertainment in the sense that it taught you about different dinosaur periods but really it was just a game where you had a weird mixing machine and you could put the head of one dinosaur on the body of another with the legs of another and then just kind of walk around one of these maps and try not to die for as long as you can <laughs> There was one weird one I remember in our that we had at school on our on our Apple Twos, and it was like a solar car racing thing. So you learned about how solar cars worked, and then there was a there was a game where you had to drive like do the solar car race, and it was like you had to like do, manage the battery and stuff. I just have really, I have really faint memories of it, and, I, and it was just like this weird kind of thing. It's like that was kind of cool from a science thing, but it's just like didn't really take much away from it obviously but that was just such a, a such a cool subject to do an edutainment game on um and yeah I, I would say i generally wasn't a fan if my parents were looking i would immediately switch out to commander keen or something <laughs> yeah that was on the machines at school like at home you know there wasn't much edutainment for the 64 i was mostly like carmen san diego was the big one <laughs> i guess to be fair that game doesn't actually suck no it's it's it it's, it, it's a it's... damn good classic yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I I liked the original more so than the the later ones. I, I never got into later ones. I played a CD-ROM like version was... that came in our first computer, which I would guess came out in 1992 if I had to. But yeah, yeah, the original I was the my best. Dad had, my dad had Outrun on that PC. Outrun, oh, so wow, I mean, that's yeah. 
Actually, that's another squishy thing with release dates here because things just keep on getting ported to different machines to different machines. So a game that came out in 86 also yeah. came out in 87, 88, 89, 91, and 93 or something. Yeah. I think it's a lot easier to talk about our experiences and living at that time yeah. than like what literally released at that time, Tim. Because I think we no. all... I, our expe- I mean, between us so far, we've all had such diverse and, and mm. different reasons why we were doing what we're doing and how, how many we people gaming in we 1991 were actually paying attention to what was going out oh, yeah. oh absolutely not like, I mean I discovered did. games in that year so it's it weird looking just at the back of the Sega Master System box and it's like I just like how these things look like there's a definite aesthetic that says video fucking games that when I was 8 years old or whatever I thought was just fucking cool so, yeah. I was like, I was never doing it to be fucking cool. I just, it's it's never been a. I'm sure I, I thought it was cool. I was probably wrong, but I thought it yeah. was cool. It was it was something for me to build a relationship, but it was also, it was, it wasn't me building an identity of being cool. It was me building an identity and building community. That was that was hmm. the thing for me with video games at that age. I wasn't doing it so I could go to school and say, "Hey, I beat this boss, and I'm freaking amazing," because. Um, it was because I could, you know, I, I felt, I felt a sense of identity belonging when I was, you know, reading these magazines, when I was talking with my brother, when, like, my brother and I, we used to have this thing where we wouldn't, we wouldn't take turns in terms of, oh, you lost a life, now you get a go, or you lost a life, you get a go. We would have a way of doing it where he used to say that he was the one who had the better skill. But I was the one who could basically fluke things a lot better. <laughs> like I could just, I could just wing it and somehow miraculously get through, and you know, and basically just put my anxiety just to that precipice and just somehow manage to get through without completely falling apart. And that that was just the way that we played, and I loved it. And I, you know, it's. Dude, I, li- I liked being a Nintendo fangirl. It wasn't. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, I enjoyed being a yeah. Sega fanboy. Like, but yeah. in hindsight, I would. I kind of wish I w- would have admitted it a bit more if I was enjoying a Nintendo game that I was playing at a friend's house instead of being a little shit about it. Sometimes I think it's it's like back then we. I mean, and we've all completely correct. I think we all got games. You know, games were a special occasion thing. You had to make. Oh, it was last. It was a birthday present, These a Christmas days- present, and maybe halfway through the year you would save up enough money from somewhere to go to Target and buy yeah. something and that looks cool. And if that game sucked, you were stuck with it. Oh, I know. And the space oh. of this episode, we've each talked about three games that we're probably within two weeks going to go and get something else. Not only because we're adults and we have disposable income, but because that's the nature of 2022. And I have the it's- Epic Games launcher on my PC. <laughs> Exactly, you have the Epic Games launcher, and we have PlayStation Plus, Xbox Game Pass, and Nintendo Switch Online. Um, ah, yes. Yes, which we don't play any Nintendo 64. Well, I may or may not have that. Um, I really have that at the benefit of another player, to Ryder, who just kind of looped me in on her family accounts. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to play Animal Crossing like that. I never once was able to visit a friend's island in the brief period of time I was trying to get into Animal Crossing. And I've not touched it again since, so. But it would be a good way to visit games from 1991. Hmm. It would. But yeah, that community thing, 
um, that community thing is the thing that I think of the most because I remember, like you were talking about with your brother, Sarah, like I remember being, I remember playing a bunch of stuff with my brother because we're only two years apart, so my brother's just a bit tad older. But when we go to our, to my, to our cousin's place, we would all be there sprawled in front of their Amiga playing stuff. And before that, it was their C64 playing stuff. And before that, it was their Atari 2600. So by that point, gaming would have been quite a large chunk of my life. Even most of the time, I was just watching them all play stuff. Um, I had, like, nobody else in my extended family who was playing games. I bought... I did mention I did um, go hard with my brother to buy the Master System, but he very quickly fell into only ever playing sports games. Which is very different to playing games in its own right. Like, that's this whole... So NBA Jam, when that came around, was kind of like this middle ground for about a year or so. But then, like, he got Brian Lara Cricket. We're going to the future, and I swear that game actually just sucks. Period. But because it was cricket. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Ew. Yeah, I mean, I think my big one for my brother and I was, um, one of our big ones was Pit Stop 2, which was a a split-screen racer. The other one, which is going to be real weird, was a dog racing uh, management game. It was I called was, Hounded. When you said racing, and I was so, so hoping you were going to say Micro Machines. Ah, uh, no, sorry. This is like literally... racing management, management game. game. So you basically... So like gambling. It's it, No, you, you. there was a bit of it, but you're also buying the dogs and training them. So you had to like uh, hire a trainer. and then Did like, you get you know, to name them? Did you just call them all Santa's little helper until like eventually? <laughs> <laughs> you, you could rename them when you bought them, yeah. So it was sort of like you wanted to make sure they had the right stats because if they, in a race, like there were eight dogs in a race and if whichever one came last, that one would be sold off. Um, and oh, so that one would be... grim. <laughs> yeah. That is really dark. This is, this, this is early, early Pokemon management. You're catching um, dogs, you're renaming them, you're training them. Oh no, you're, you, you're buying them. So you like uh, between each race, it would be like a dog trainer would come up to you and have this dog for sale and its parents were this dog and this dog and it was its stats. And it's like its best time was X and do you want to buy it for this much money? And then you got to name it and all of that. I can it's, just uh, imagine how those conversations would go as a kid. <laughs> Oh, these these stats is it is it worth this? Tell him he's dreaming. <laughs> like the big thing was like the time, so it was like its best yeah. time was X. So it was like I think it was like if it was like close to it was under nine seconds. That's when you try to buy. Um, funnily enough, that was a game written by an Australian, if memory serves. Um, yeah, proud what proud are, history here. What other stats would did it have? So it was just the the running time. Yeah, like, and it's like based on. It was sort of like the average, you know, based on, like, the parents' um, times yeah. as well. Like, it's been a long time since we played it, because I've not played it ever shit. since That's then. so good. I need to find it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll dig it up and, and, and link it. Um, Do it. Because that sounds amazing. <laughs> it, it sounds like something that would... Do weirdly well with a very niche market on Steam right now. You kind of, like, just push it in. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, I guess, talking back to kind of getting back to that 1991, I think it's, we have, we have such good memories of games we play and they're games that are still in some way arguably accessible to us. It just makes, like, part of me is just, like, talking about this is, is make me think about, like, 
3DS and Wii Shop stores close and yeah. all those games are going to be lost to time and just how while game archiving back 1991 wise was not still not great it's not we're closing down a storefront you're never going to see these games again no, you download these games we printed the exist somewhere your console does not die at some point and it will yeah i've already seen pictures on twitter yeah. of like 3ds's where the battery is just kind of ballooned out and like cracked out of the case i know and Oof. i'm really worried about that yep it's like yeah i've had a psp battery do that um really yeah um it was like a it was like a spare three thousand, and I, I'd had the battery like thankfully out, but it had swelled. Um, so yeah, that wasn't something you had to worry reason. about back then. Like if you left the batteries in the Game Boy, it was your own stupid fault. Yeah, yeah. So typically, ones that you would have gone and bought from Woolies. Oh god, the Game Gear! Oh. That thing you spent more in batteries than you did in games. I, and the links. We uh, did you guys ever see? The Handy Boy. That's a fantastic name, but no. <laughs> you guys need to Google this. This was the most amazing Game Boy peripheral that you will ever see. Because it had not only... You guys are Googling it now. It's yes, we are. Not only... <laughs> you not do not only, have to tell me twice. It's like I just saw the screens light up. I'm like, do it. Not only did it have... Oh my god, it looks like a Transformer! I know! <laughs> <laughs> oh because man! It had, it, so it had okay. So for for people playing at home, Handy Boy, Google it. It's the most ridiculous thing that you've ever seen. It's a peripheral peripherals for consoles back then. Um, it's firstly a light for the screen because the Game Boy did not was not backlit, of course. But it had these two massive speakers. Yep. And also, it had this weird little thing for you to actually have like a. So like, it um, turns it into a joystick, it turns the A and B buttons into what looks yes. like a fancy light switch. Yes, pretty <laughs> much. So like the it's it's supposed like more ergonomic or something, which basically it was completely top heavy. We had that. I don't oh know why God. the frick we had it, but we had it. Because you want dumb shit like, when you were a kid. Like you see those peripherals for you. I know. There was this I never it bought so it, but there's this weird joy pat um joystick like controller mm-hmm. for the Master System, and I think it was just a regular controller except the Instead of a D-pad, it came way up. And thank fuck I never bought it. But I wanted it because it looked like this funky, cool thing. Mm. I we definitely remember... that stupid thing. I've got... I do not remember when we got it. I don't remember why we got it. I don't remember using it. I think Travis used it a few times. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm just like... I've, I've got... But it was most... Peripherals back then were... Were on something. They really were. They could sell you a thing that would sell you a thing. Oh, they would. My god, they would. It's like it's like the Hori Deep like the Hori Pro pads that you get on the Switch. It's like that on freaking steroids. (laughs) It was just amazing. I remember being weirded out by by joystick by third party joysticks back in this the eight bit stuff. And there was one that was a giant tortoise. Um, so it was a company by a company called Cheetah Marketing. Um, I forgot the full yeah. name of this thing, but it's a tortoise. You rest your hand on it. There's like five buttons, like on the shell. The, like the, the, oh, yeah. cool. It's basically a mouse, except it's a tortoise. <laughs> yeah. Then you, you push it. Like, I've, I've never seen one in person. I've never seen photos and stuff. I remember seeing ads for it. But like you, yeah, you push it up and back. And I don't know why, what kind of games it would work for. There were some weirdly ergonomic joysticks as well well i mean like 
We're also in the era of the Nintendo Power Glove and the whole movie designed around selling it to you. Yeah. Oh, the wizard. Now you're playing uh, with power. Oh, gosh. Oh, I love the Power Glove. It's so bad. Yes, very I can't bad. I remember that... You guys may remember that I better than I can. I can't remember third-party controllers for the Super Nintendo or the... Or I the definitely Mega remember Drive. them for the Mega Drive because we kept on having ones yeah. by a company called Honeybee and, like, every half a year we had to go back to this big W with receipt because something about it had stopped working and we had to get a new one. And it's some... Yeah. It wasn't until, I think... No, I think we did made the same mistake on PlayStation. By the time I bought my Dreamcast, I just learned my lesson. It's like I'm just buying the friggin' official one. First party. Yeah. See, it was yeah. it was like I buy usually buy first party these days because that was like by the time I was buying consoles, it was the GameCube. Um, and but with the with the 64, like because this was the era when all those machines used that same nine pin interface, so I could buy joysticks for the Atari 2600 and carry them over and so on and all the third, like they were, unless you were buying really posh, expensive ones, um, like the Star Cursor, which had arcade micro switches and stuff, they all, they all, uh, broke with Don't think I ever had a, um, third party controller last year. Yeah, they, they all broke within months. Um, and like, I'm glad that these days for the vintage systems, because I collect this stuff. There are, there are folks who are making modern, modern joysticks for those, those consoles with like modern arcade parts. They're, reasonably affordable so at least i don't have to scour scour auctions for for old controllers oh gosh i know yeah but i guess i'm trying to think back like 1991 like i was okay i was barely aware of games and i think i probably should have done the math before we started this episode i think it was like that christmas when we like bought our master system so something had like twigged me off i think it may have been like visiting the kids of one of my mother's friend's house and like a day off and they had Probably Mario, and I got this fixation with this idea of just a game where you're a little man and you jump on things. And then I had the reverse of the normal story, where it wasn't an uncle who works at Nintendo, it was an uncle who works at Sega. Because I was starting to look at junk mail. I was just, like, looking at the pictures of all these games in junk mail. This is how I knew what Blaster Master was at an early age. Because it was one of two games that were in that catalogue at the time. Like- and... Then this kid at school or an after-school activity was just like, nah, man, you get a Sega. And then I played Alex Kid, and it's like, oh, this game comes free, and that was it. <laughs> but after that, like, I just had these two other clear memories that were probably actually 1992, and then one like being in a believable world for kids and playing oh, the yes. Mega Drive version of Sonic the Hedgehog for the first time, and having my first holy shit like technical visual power experience, and being like. There is something just very chunky and alive about this that I'm not experiencing or what I have at home. I think that would that would have been when I first saw F Zero a year later. Um, I remember when when the SNES launched. I remember being at a Maya and they just had they they had F Zero running on the on the kiosk SNES. It's just like holy moly. Because um, the first time I saw Sonic was the Game Gear one at the Game Gear kiosks in, Game, in the Kmart. Well, the Game Gear one was basically the Master System version just squished down even more. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, I remember, I remember seeing like that, uh, Tetris and Lynx's with hard driving and that, that always got me, but the Lynx was just stupid expensive and very, very battery hungry. Um, I don't, I don't remember really going into a store to look at games. Like it just, it was one of those things oh, where I like, my brother and I would sit, oh, I, I don't know. 
My mother was going to buy clothes at Big W. I'd be like, I'll be in the game section. Come and get me later. Yeah. Not, it was sort of like, at that age, I didn't. Like, it was, it was, if I was, you know, if I was going shopping, it was, it was shopping for a different purpose. If I had my mum with me, she wasn't going to sit there and, and take me to a freaking video game shop. But I remember always having the conversations about, oh, you know, I'd really like this for birthday or hmm. this for Christmas. And this is probably why I started looking at fun- junk mail a lot. My parents must have yeah, hated it because I'm sure um, those Kmart catalogs were all over the house. Well, the toy and the Toys R Us. And the World for Kids one, which is like the first one, which is like a friggin' magazine. I've now just had this very clear flashback to when World for Kids first opened, and they sent around what must have been like a 100-page catalog of toys. Yeah, this would have been basically like Ikea. Yeah, <laughs> basically the one I yeah, just, the just one get, I here's was, your t- here is your 1991 catalog. This is all that we're going to have in the shop. We're not going to have anything new. Um, no, we just we just didn't like the. But the thing that was always really complex was it was finding a game that both of us could play. We didn't get a game each, so it was it was it was up for a fight. And this is not 1991 or 1992, but you guys are talking about Street Fighter, and remember how I said before about Super Mario World 2? Um, that year, was that Christmas that year, my brother did say, hey, I'd really like Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Turbo, or was it Super Street Fighter? I can't remember one of them or the other. And I was all like, oh, you know, but I think Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island would be a lot more fun. Ooh. And my parents had to pick between which one they were going to get. And I guess they read the ratings. But both of those games would have done really well. Oh, they no, no, no ratings as in the... Oh, the so you got Yoshi. Ratings. Of course we got Yoshi. <laughs> as opposed to the game that's actually from 1991. Yes. But, but did we did we still rent Street Fighter from Blockbuster? Of course we did. I technically wasn't allowed wasn't to play like... Street Fighter. But, so, oh. but I mean... I would watch the shit out of it, like the roller skating rink when you had like those like kind of kids after school whatever club thing. And he's... So, Play so for Street Fighter... That was the um, other one that we we did, but that was a lot later too. Play Fighter was, was stupid. Um, so for Street Fighter... Oh. But, yeah, Street Fighter is very significant, so if we have a Street Fighter yes. story, we should probably go into it. Yeah, yes. so for me, that was the one that like you were mentioning earlier, way early about, you know, being everywhere and it was in the fish and chip shop next to dad's work so during school holidays you know mum would go to help him at his work and you know drag us along and then at lunchtime me and the sieves would go to the fish and chip shop grab fish and chips and play sf i'm terrible at it but that that whole sort of saga about you know the the street fighter versus yoshi's island reminds me of a, a thing where me and my brother we bought a copy of double dragon 3 on the 64 so it's been a couple of years later 93 or so we got to the point where you have to flip the disc to the to like the back half of the game, and it was and the disc was 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 messed up like there was nothing oh. there, so the game just stuck. So we went back to the shop, couldn't exchange it or get a refund, so we had to get in touch with the distributor. And it's like we don't have, have any copies of it either, but here is our list of what we do have. So they sent us through Star Mail like a giant printout of a whole bunch of games. You can pick any game you want, and we'll exchange. You know. And me and my brother argued for quite a while over that. Oh, that. Um, ooh, ooh. Eventually, because at the time, one of the things listed on there, me being budding, wanting to make games person, was a thing called was a product called the Shoot 'Em Up Construction Kit. Oh dear. Which is, um, which is a tool to let you make shooting shmups. 
and I can't remember what my brother wanted, but we ended up conceding and going for um, a game called Supercars, which is we played the sequel at our cousin's place on their Amiga. So we were both happy with that. Um, so it ended it ended amicably. So that's a relief. Um, but yeah, just it's just all those stories, just just so many funny little tales. And I think it's, I, I think thinking about it, that generation so is, it, it's nice. It's nice to remember. Not entirely how simple it was, but it's nice to remember why we started this kind of stuff in the first place. And I think that, you know, eight-year-olds who will probably, you know, people who were like eight around 1998 or 2001 and all the rest of and going on, their experiences that age are going to be so much different. It's just going to be... Yeah. And... Yeah. I think you, was it Retro Gamer Magazine is now covering. Anybody in that? Oh, sorry. I think Retro Gamer Magazine is now like having that first PS3 coverage, and I'm like, just what? <laughs> I remember when they started doing original Xbox coverage. I'm just like, no, no, no. I remember pitching it um, appropriately. Echo the Dolphin piece to them, except the Dreamcast one, and being surprised that they were like, you know, yeah, it's probably been about long enough now. <laughs> But the PS3 really stings. Like when we when you make that jump to HD, that just feels like a hole. I can't believe that it's now considered retro. I remember buying a PS3. I remember having. I remember sitting and going into EB Games like repeatedly and debating to myself, "Or would I get an Xbox? Or would I get a a PS3?" And I sat for months thinking about. That. See, that was way easier in 1991. You're a Nintendo kid. You were getting a SNES, and that was the end of this. <laughs> I, no, no, the decision the decision was being made because my brother decided what he wanted and I had to go along with it and I just made the best of it and we and I enjoyed it and I enjoyed playing video games with him and that was about the extent of it. It's just that it propelled, you know, after that into what I kind of just enjoyed moving forward. But, oh gosh, PS3 being retro. Yeah, well, it's just, 2009! It's, just, it's not retro. Is that retro? 2006. Well, I bought it in 2000. <laughs> yeah, I bought my 360 in 2008, and I, that for me it was just like there was no choice. Mass Effect, Space Giraffe, that was that was just what yeah. sold me. I can't. I remember. I can't remember why I went with PS3 in the end because I remember because I remember all the discussions about we're getting off topic. I apologize. Yeah, I just remember all the discussions about being so much harder to to program for, and I should have gone with the 360. And I always almost half regret for the same reason. Mass Effect. Um, and a couple of other things that just played a little bit better on the 360. I think um, a couple of the Bethesda games played a lot better. We're going to really get into this because we're going to do a 2007 oh, episode. God, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a definite power differential that was very much overcome most of the time by an accessibility differential. But I guess to like wrap yeah. this up, like it, I feel like we just missed like a couple of like very key um, PC games. Like Civilization and Monkey Island 2 came out. Mm. Yep. Yep. I did they, play. I was aware. I was aware that they now, as an adult, I was aware that's when they came out. But I didn't know about them then. Yeah, I didn't know about them either. Um, no. Adventure no. strategy stuff was like not a lot of stuff. Um, my circles were playing those games. Like my friends, you know, we were all ten, eleven, mm. so we weren't playing that stuff. And even my older cousins and stuff, they weren't really interested, or it wasn't something that came up when we were visiting them. Okay. Those the stuff. 
The curious thing is, if I had, like, two other people joining, maybe they had a family computer when they were 10, but their parents had not bought them a Nintendo or whatever. And it could have mm. been, like, just complete... I kind of fell on the wrong side of that coin. Um, whereas, like, I just just went... We got our first computer, I believe, Christmas 1993, so... But I guarantee you a lot of the stuff I was playing on there was from 1991. And a lot of it was just a dad found in the bargain bin at Tandy, which is, like, the most quintessential dad thing you could have done... Oh, yeah. <laughs> at that time of the year <laughs> so I had he had bought like this kind of collection of Space Quest games and Dynamics Hunts as well so I kind of fell on the Sierra side of the adventure games I like, oh, got yeah. deep into Space Quest did not really understand there were supposed to be comedy games because all the jokes are going over my head I was just like this is the one where you're in space and I want to be in space um, and Space Quest 1 I think I've mentioned on the show a few times legitimately terrified me because the colours like didn't synchronize, so everything was like this weird acid trip and you would just keep on getting told you hear footsteps and having to hide really quickly or you got shot in the head. Oh, yes. Um, that, that was like oh. the um, 1990 remake, I think, as well. So it was like mouse-controlled. Yep. But if we, like, circling back to edutainment, I just remember, like, Dad bought... And for me, my brother, mostly, I think, a program called TypeQuick. And it was, like, the most bare-bones typing practice. It was literally just different colored letters low resolution on a DOS prompt and like you just had to press it as fast as you could without looking at the screen you know how I actually learned to type Space Quest fucking 3 like just give me a game where you have to type in the shit that you want to do (laughs) and it is way more incentive yeah yep I feel like I missed I, I wish that I had appreciated those things then. I guess it's the best way I could say it. Like, that would have been such an interesting experience to have gotten into those kind of adventure games at that time. That age when you when you and were that young now, and you had that much free time. Everybody's trying to kind of have that spiritual successor kind of syndrome to it. So... Yep. Mm. It's hot, yeah. like... Oh, no, there is actually a market now, but for, like, these classic mm. adventures, but it is... It's never going to be big budget ever again. No. Um, but I will say, like, the LucasArts stuff has held up way better than most of the Sierra stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, much, much better design principles. Those, those, um, those Monkey Island remasters, by all means, go in there. If you see old Sierra games on sale, if you f- see King's Quest... Well, the new one was actually not bad, but if you see classic King's Quest on sale on GOG or whatever, unless you have nostalgic memories of it, it's probably not worth... <laughs> probably not worth diving into. And I want to say, with that, we've probably just about scraped out anything that we um, have. So, um, thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you to your electricity for, like, staying on. I'm assuming you are perpetually busy and embroiled in your own whirlwind of stuff. Do you have anything coming up you'd like to pimp? Not at the moment. I'm sorry. Do you want people to stalk you on Twitter? Oh, if they want to stalk me on Twitter, go for it. I'm on there as as, as um, Esoteric, so feel free to stalk me on Twitter. I'm not saying a lot of things are very interesting at the moment, though, but um, I will be probably every day be going through and saying how many days it's been since I purchased Elden Ring and I still suck nice at it. To, and so I, I'm and watch me die again. Say, yes. <laughs> so be there for that. Cool. The the, the one alternative Elden Ring co- coverage. Moment. Rob, you got anything coming up? <laughs> that Elden Ring co- coverage. Breaking news, Sarah still sucks at it. Um, I've got to get some more P2 Play stuff in the can as um, we're recording this. I just had one on Escatos come up, which was an import shooter that got reissued for the Switch, so you don't have to pay stupid money for a Japanese Xbox 360 exclusive. 
Um, and of course, I've got my own stuff, which is um, just youtube.com slash hellfire64. Um, second and fourth Saturdays every month, I have new looks at old games on old hardware. Yeah, appropriately, if this episode was up your alley, Rob is probably the guy you want to <laughs> no. chase down. Yeah, I captured off the original hardware. Um, so, you know, I go into the details. Um, probably mixed between old, like new releases for vintage systems, but also old stuff um, as well a little bit insightful, a little more chilled and less, you know, screaming and less uh, all of that stuff, you know. Kind of get, kind of getting to the middle age barrier. So, you know, not into the, the loud shrieking that the kids like these days. Yeah, that is a very old man line right there. The loud shrieking that the kids like these days. This isn't music, it's noise! <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, um... As mentioned, the one thing I have coming is definitely not a review of Horizon Forbidden West. Um, had to come a bit later. We actually asked Sony about posting it earlier, and they were like, we understand what you're doing, but please don't. <laughs> Effectively, I think. I'd say, I'd say wow. like, somewhat understandably. It, it is a very weird ground where I'm not really breaking embargo, but completely fucking with the embargo at the same time. <laughs> Um, I, I, so, when is embargo lifting, and when can we see this hot? Well, I mean, the game's out, so yeah. So the fake review, like, it? it's not out yet because Paul or whoever has not actually put it up on the website yet. Like, I had that review written well before the game came out, <laughs> so we could have run it before the actual reviews were out. Is clearly for reasons which I guess I have to understand, albeit reluctantly, because it would have been way funnier if I could have put that out first and seen if Twitter had caught on somewhere and, like, not understood. Um, we're thinking about, I, or at least I'm thinking about, like, maybe trying to do that with a few more big releases over the course of this year and seeing if we can make it an established thing if then some we can actually run it as it would be more originally entertaining. You see, um, Tim Rogers did a couple of those on Kotaku before he before he scooted yes. off. He did it for um, the Final Fantasy VII remake as well as Animal Crossing. You should go and have a look at those because those were those were hilarious and those were just him going on about what he thought the game was going to be, <laughs> and he got away with it. Yeah, this is written as a straight up review. <laughs> this was just yeah. and, it, and as a lazy as a lazy straight up review, it kind of I actually I'm kind of proud of myself. I think it kind of plays. Especially if you have not played the game to be able to cross-check anything that I have said in there. <laughs> so that's a weird thing. Um, the one thing I want to change going forward is uh, it's been suggested to me, because I kind of have an anticipated score, just with the comment of things, but is to like replace the scoring going forward with like a bingo card of things that I think are going to come up in reviews and fan reactions. Just to make it a bit clearer as well. That would be great. <laughs> so, ho- so hopefully I'm going to get to do a couple more of these over the course of this year. I just need to choose something that I also have no interest in actually reviewing because that would be a weird cross-section to find myself in. So everybody, watch out for Tim quotations that you can't see reviewing <laughs> in 2022. Because this is what we're resorting to. This is to what I'm resorting to. It's like, I don't have time to play it. I'm just going to see how well I can do it without the actual work. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I think, I think there's been some there's been some people who've tried to get away with that before. I'd like to yeah, see. Yeah, that's kind of part of what inspired me. Is like, oh no, what, like these people are copying other people's review. Can you do it blind? Can you do it based <laughs> off curious. kind of watching the E3 reveal and like seeing one preview? Um, but yeah, I I would be I would like to see this hot mess. I will be here for it. Be, well, it, it's very yes. likely going to be up by the time this episode goes live. Um, yeah, I almost cool. forgot. I am pretend be at Twitter. Rob, I forgot to ask. Did you shout out your Twitter handle? 
Oh, if you want it, it's just my name, Rob underscore Caporetto, C-A-P-O-R-E-T-T-O. That's you crazy. Want Sensible person. Yeah, I would have preferred, if I'd been able to get my preferred shortened version, but mm, um, that's just, you know, feelings, existential despair, and lots of old game and nuttering. Um, yeah, that's 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 player two in a nutshell. You're kind of like... 2020, it's 2023.0. We are all in existential despair. <laughs> We're just now ready. Seriously, yeah. that's what Twitter's for, man. Do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Just fall into a pit of freaking... I'm very happy with myself that I have a timer up on my Twitter account and my, my phone will... And I've, I think outside of the US election, that's when I was freaking out too much and I was, like, just refreshing everything. I've abstractly chosen 35 minutes and 35 minutes of Twitter a day just seems like a good point to just stop. <laughs> <laughs>